Hello there, and welcome to the sixth in our podcast series from Private Practice Pro. My name is Giles Davies, and I'm the co-founder of Private Practice Pro, which is a on-demand video course for doctors and healthcare professionals looking to start up and scale their own independent healthcare business or private medical practice. So today's podcast I'm going to cover in two parts, and we're going to talk about what patients expect when they see a private doctor. It's really important that patients need to trust doctors with their health, and that means making a really good doctor-patient relationship. And when that relationship is positive and strong, the patient's health is much, much more likely to improve. If the trust isn't quite there, people can feel a little bit unclear or uneasy about their illness. They then start questioning the diagnosis and they won't follow the treatment that you recommend. And it's actually quite interesting because research by PricewaterhouseCoopers Health Research Institute reveals people actually kind of expect the same level of facilities, care and service from their private medical practitioner as if they were going to a bank or a really good hotel. They actually showed that active listening and being quite transparent are one of the biggest priorities for patients choosing a doctor. Whilst a warm welcome at a hotel means a lot, a friendly welcome when you're ill and worried matters even more. And did you know that patients are twice as likely to choose or reject a medical practitioner because of the friendliness or otherwise of the first person they see when they walk through the door? 70% of people want their doctor to provide multiple services under one roof and almost 65% say they'd appreciate the chance to use apps to communicate with their doctor. Interestingly, the one thing you think of which is price actually isn't anywhere near as important as the personal bespoke side of and actually people are twice as likely to make a decision based on their personal preferences than financial considerations. Patients actually now have the right to participate in their own healthcare decisions instead of kind of being told what to do. And that's changed the face of private medicines. So what do patients typically expect from your doctor? And here's what you need to know to perfect your practice and delight your patients every single day. Okay, so I think that probably the first and most important is trust, isn't it? It's much easier to share sensitive information or embarrassing symptoms when your patients trust you. And that really revolves around being active listener, an active listener. People relax in the presence of a listening and caring, trustworthy doctor. The second thing I think is being very transparent. It's okay not to know everything about the illness and actually People want you to tell them what you do know, but if you're not sure, even if you're, and you're uncertain, it's really important to kind of be open and transparent about that. And additionally, if something goes wrong, if you, you know, the hotel room, the water was cold or there was a leak in the radiator, you just expect an apology and an assurance that you'll fix the error. That's why you should be really open and transparent about the success rates and risks around procedures that you offer, but also when something goes wrong, a simple apology, people recognize that doctors are human beings and mistakes do happen. 
The third thing I think is showing uh, empathy really, kind of understanding and knowing how people feel. It's all about relating to patients in a very human way and creating that sense of connection that shows you care. Great patient relationships help people feel comfortable and safe and they're happy to share their stories. And when the treatments that you recommend come with side effects, it's really important that you educate your patient about risks and benefits. Perhaps from a business perspective, you know, if people feel connected and related to you, they're much more likely to become quite loyal customers and, you know, keep coming back to you. So creating that sense of empathy and understanding how someone feels. I think at this point it's important to say that finance is really should always become second. People can tell when they're being overtreated and people know more that care doesn't always mean better care. They actually need to feel quite reassured that they're getting the right care without this perception that you're financially gaining from that. The fifth thing I'd say is that you should treat people with an extremely high degree of respect. And a lot of that regard is around sort of kind of training your staff to a high level and having you know, great people skills. The really successful private doctors are those actually who've got really great people skills. Though that those that treat people with compassion and dignity and you know, and a sort of passion as well as compassion. You know, if you look at appointment times, for example, it doesn't actually feel great to wait. 40 minutes for your appointment and spend five minutes with someone and casual disrespect for the patient's time just makes them feel like they don't matter so it's a classic case of promising number six i would think about listening more this is temptation to sort of present and talk and talk and talk and talk uh, as though you're giving people good value for money but actually, there's a really big difference between giving a speech and having a conversation. A conversation means treating people as an equal. Listening to your patient's medical history means that you connect with them on an emotional, physical and spiritual level. If you respect their opinion, listen to the description of the problems they're having and ask pertinent questions, you're more likely to understand the cause of the illness and they're more likely to feel really valued as a patient. If you just rush and interrupt people, they're not going to feel like they're properly cared for and they won't come back to you. Number seven, it's also important that you really give people information, particularly around diagnoses and treatments, in a language that the patient can understand. Bamboozling people with jargon uh, is not helpful. The really cool and excellent medical professionals are masters of really clear, succinct, concise and empathetic uh, information and communications. Another big one, number eight, is time. You know, some people will be kind of super busy, time poor, super efficient, a bit like you, but others actually need more support from you. Don't treat it like a conveyor belt. Take the time to pay proper attention. And look, you'll get some sort of patients where you think, well, that wasn't worth it. I spent all that time for so little money. But you've got to remember what that patient is there for. They're there for medical help. And if you give them medical help, 
What goes around comes around. They'll recommend you, they'll come back again, and trust me, you will end up earning far more from that patient than you would if you just banged it out on a conveyor belt. And also, you're delivering great medicine, yeah? And I suppose the harder ones, um, and these are my last two, are taking time to be there for your patients. And I think it's actually quite difficult to be available all the time for your patients, although that's what they expect. So it's kind of a fine balance, isn't it, in private medical practice for being sort of on call for your private patients in, a, in the sense that you're always around, but also, you know, creating some sense of boundaries. So it is about managing expectations. And I think actually, if you promise everything, like I'm going to be there for you, don't worry, just ring me if you need me, here's my mobile, you're going to come unstuck because at some point you won't deliver. And also you can create a unhealthy relationship with your patient that actually can be detrimental. So being professional, being available is great, but don't kind of uh, overpromise that. And the final thing, and the tenth little bit of tip in this first part of the podcast, is try and use the latest technology for communication, practice management, being um, uh, you know modern in your approach, particularly around electronic health records and communication techniques. I think you know the days of uh, waiting for the letter to appear is not going to be a way that you're going to succeed in private practice if you're a, or a doctor uh, communicating with patients. So I think, you know, it's about embracing technology. If you're not really able to do that, then you're probably not going to succeed in private medical practice. You do need to get into the modern app-based, uh, cloud phone-based, virtual PA-based landscape and use tech to enhance and augment your private practice. So that's kind of those sort of top tips around what the patients expect from you. And and the second bit of this podcast, I'd really like to dive into the things that you really need to think about to be really safe, particularly around medical legal considerations. It's really important if you're setting up a clinic or hiring people or working independently, that you kind of follow some really basic but meticulous guidance so that you can really practice quite freely and confidently. And if you create boundaries and parameters that you follow, you really won't come unstuck. The first thing to say is, of course, you need to be registered with the GMC and hold a license to practice. I think if you are a CQC registration um, kind of clinic, um, you need to be really clear about your um, need to re register with the CQC. And we've got a great module on that in the Private Practice Pro course. And don't duck and dive around that. If you do need to register with the CQC, you really, really, really should. And of course, it's a minefield, isn't it? It's really bureaucratic. It's not very clear. Do I? Don't I? And we all, uh, I think we can all agree that if you're a consultant working as an NHS consultant with some private work down in the hosp private hospital, you're likely not to require uh, a CQC registration of your own. And it's fairly obvious if you're setting up a new private GP surgery in a, um, a standalone building, then you're, you're going to need to register 
with the CQC. So that's an area where I dive into our course if you want some more specific detail. It's also important that you have professional indemnity, okay, because remember the indemnity from NHS bodies only applies to negligence claims against NHS bodies. So if you've got independent practice, and that includes medical legal work, you really got to have indemnity to cover for that private practice. And in fact, interestingly, for example, if you're a GP and you want to do something like functional medicine, which is a bit different from conventional medicine, you can also get insurance for that. So there are lots of competitive marketplace now for indemnity insurance. And again, that's another great module in the course. If you so you can shop around quite freely for indemnity cover, a bit like car insurance, and make sure that you've got the right level of cover and the right breadth of cover for your private medical. With regard to indemnity, it's also worth mentioning that, you know, if you're employing people, like healthcare professionals particularly, like a nurse, you've got to make sure that they've got their own indemnity insurance and you've got all of their mandatory training and DBS stuff as well. So if you do employ people, even in a sessional basis, you've got to make sure that they have their own indemnity cover. And in fact, practice nurses, for example, in general practice who do private work, have their own nursing indemnity to do the stuff they do, like coil fitting, phlebotomy, etc, etc. So not difficult, got to check, get it right the first time. Let's move on to marketing. It's kind of the world of digital marketing now. And of course, you can have, you know, a thousand or a hundred thousand Instagram followers as you market your wellness practice. But you've got to, in the back of your mind, think carefully if you're promoting services as an independent practitioner. There's actually GMC guidance in good medical practice. It's in paragraph 69 if you really want to look at it. When you're advertising your services, you must make sure that the information you publish is factual and can be checked and does not exploit patient's vulnerability or lack of medical knowledge. So you, you've got to be really careful about saying things like beetroot can cure cancer uh, as opposed to beetroot is really good for you. And as part of a healthy diet, it's a really great vegetable containing vitamins A, B, C, D, E, F, G, X, etc. Yeah, And if you're going to advertise yourself, you do actually have to comply with advertising codes enforced by the Advertising Standards Authority. And you may actually also need to consider things like the Medicines and Healthcare Regulatory Agency, or MHRA, guidance on the advertising of medicines. If you're going to sort of be advertising things like slimming medicines or slimming pills and things like that, be careful. It's actually called the Blue Guide, the MHRA Guidance on the Advertising of Medicines, the Blue Guide. It's also important to realize that if you've got testimonials or patient photographs or a picture of someone's mouth with amazing teeth after you've done some amazing dental surgery or someone's beautiful face after you've done injections of fillers, it's really important you've got written consent from the patients concerned. So if you're CQC registered and you've got photos of all of your amazing aesthetic skin results over the internet, over Instagram, make sure that you've got a really sensibly drawn up written consent form 
so that you are consenting patients for the use of digital photography for marketing and purposes specifically. It's quite common, isn't it, actually, to use third parties like a digital marketing agency or if you're kind of working for a clinic and they're publishing stuff on your behalf, do remember that it's your responsibility to make sure it meets those standards if it's representing you. Yeah. And of course, remember, other people's perceptions are really important. So maybe kind of run it past a few people and say, look, does this look right? Uh, would you think this is misrepresenting what I'm doing? Be very, very careful. Yeah. Uh, if you want to use logos from people like the CQC or Booper, you should uh, get written permission for them Yeah, to use your logo on advertising. It's very nice to say, yes, you can see registered. Therefore, you know, that's a, a, a quite a good selling tool, isn't it, for clinics? But you must seek permission to use the logo, and particularly if you're promoting your services via a website. Yeah. Remember, if you've got websites or your marketing stuff, it's actually a statutory requirement to make sure it's accessible to people with disabilities. Yeah. If you offer general medical in information, you should state, particularly if it's on a website, that it is general advice only and shouldn't be a substitute for personal face-to-face -face consultation. So, and, and again, you can get into sticky water if you linked your website to third-party websites. You, you should maybe include a statement to say that you can't guarantee that the other website is secure or, or that you endorse the contents of that site it's it's particularly around um uh, you know misrepresentation and patient protection of confidentiality yeah so a lot of people have chatbots or um inquiry forms you must must have a very clear gdpr and privacy notice that's quite specific and actually probably should contain quite detailed information about your practice management software, your website provider, how you store cookies and all of that. And there's quite a few templates out there that you can follow. And get again, get professional help with this. We cover this in the course. Get some professional help with this and do it properly once so that you are squeaky clean. Yeah, um, particularly uh, if you're you know, going to use your website to do or your practice management software to do remote consultations. There's a whole specific blog we've written on remote consultations. And there's actually now quite thankfully, actually quite specific GMC guidance on providing safe remote consultations. The obvious, you know, safety uh, thing of particular importance is medical records, isn't it? So, you know, you have an obligation to keep those safely. And if you're setting up a new clinic, you've got to consider how long to retain these records, who's going to handle them, and understand the whole process of the terms like data controller, GDPR, and, you know, very simple actually to do this. But if you intend to process electronically held data relating to private treatment, you've got to register under the Data Protection Act, and that's from the Information Commissioner's website. That's www.ico.gov.uk. 
Yeah, whether you need to register or not, you're still obliged to comply with data protection. Okay, which includes informing patients about what data you're collecting, the reasons for doing so, and remember with marketing now the difference is between opting in and opting out. Yeah, you have to consent your patients to opt in for marketing rather than just bombarding them with stuff without their permission. Uh, you do need to. Uh, ask patients to opt in to marketing related information. The other thing that goes with sort of um, data protection and information commissioners is the finance stuff and the fees. Yeah? And you've got to be very open and honest and tell people about the range of fees if possible before seeking their consent to treatment. Yeah? So you mustn't exploit patients um, lack of medical knowledge when charging for fees and services and you have to provide a statement in accordance with the competition and markets authority uh, before you see patients explaining what your fees are you should really publish them particularly if you're a GP clinic you should have it doesn't have to be completely exhaustive but it has to be the common fees the range of fees and particularly if you're going to do tests that are a little unorthodox or or personalized blood tests, you should seek consent and record that consent and confirm that the patient has understood what you're proposing, how much it's going to cost, and that they're agreeing with the fees that you are charging. So that's fees, yeah? Competition and Markets Authority. There is a uh, GMC guidance, financial and commercial arrangements, and that actually includes conflicts of interest as well so think about whether what you're doing is a conflict of interest if you're working for a commercial organization or you're peddling a particular test that you're actually getting a kickback for think very carefully about whether you're actually uh, whether that represents a conflict of interest or not kind of covered quite a lot really in this podcast around what the patients really expect from you and how to sort of perform as a private medical practitioner and also the really key things that go around the medico legal and safety aspects of running your own private medical practice. I think you should really follow a checklist if you're setting up a private medical practice and there is a downloadable checklist on our website www.privatepracticepro.uk and it'll just show you how many little things you need to think of. But if you do work your way through these things or you do our course where you'll feel much more empowered to uh, practically get this stuff done, once it's done, it's kind of done. And then you're sort of running things and maintaining and updating. But if you skip any of these key steps around the medical legal safety or you don't approach your private practice in the way that I've outlined, I think you're going to struggle. So you do need to plan and think before you set up your private clinic and not end up hiding, ducking and diving or fighting fires as the complaints roll in. I hope that's been a useful podcast and a flavour of the course and a flavour of the discussions that we're having within our private practice community. And of course, um, there is uh, a special offer for the podcast subscribers of the private practice course for just £195 with 55 on-demand video videos. And I hope you kind of feel like that would be worth doing for you. 
because there's nothing better than mentoring young doctors to set up their amazing private clinics, uh, but doing so in a really safe and reliable way. And that makes it better for everyone. So I hope you have a quiet week or a busy week, depending on what you want. I look forward to seeing you at the next podcast. Stay safe and enjoy the summer months. Take care.